So as I'm getting set up, I think, you know, there's a rule you should never follow kids, right? Because they're a tough act to follow. So, And I'm definitely not going to sing and dance my message up here. So uh, if you were thinking that, you're going to be disappointed. Um, but I do, if you had anything to do with BBS this week, would you just stand up so we can recognize you again? Because it takes a ton of people to make that happen. So, yeah. From the decorations to corralling kids to teaching uh, the dance songs, all that just takes a ton of work. And I know everybody in my family was exhausted uh, Friday. So, okay. Okay, here we go. All right, when, when our kids were younger, actually when Abigail, Mariah, and Lydia were younger, Emily doesn't remember any of this because she wasn't around then, but when they were younger, we had a set of uh, scripture memory CDs and was by a guy named Steve Green, not our Steve Green, but uh, another guy named Steve Green, and he was popular in the 70s and 80s. If you ever went to a Promise Keepers conference, you probably heard him. Um, he sang, or yeah, he sang the best a cappella version of a mighty fortress that I've ever heard. I mean, he just had an amazing voice. But anyway, we had the CD, and we'd listen to it, and it was various scriptures set to music. And uh, I can still remember some of those choruses now, and that was, that was what, 15, 20 years ago almost? But one of them was on James 3, which is the passage that we're going to study today. And uh, one part of the chorus... I forgot to start my timer here. That was all free, by the way. Okay. Um, One of the choruses was, he'd get to a certain point and he'd say, okay, hold your tongue, and then you're going to sing the chorus. And it was on taming your tongue, which was what the verse we were learning. So we'd hold our tongues and we'd try to sing and we'd make all these goofy noises. And and, and it was silly and it was fun, but it was a good object lesson for our young kids about how difficult it is to tame the tongue. Uh, James says the tongue is a restless evil. And uh, sometimes you have to take drastic measures to control it. Now, the passage that we're going to study today, um, it's in James. James is a very practical book. And and this passage of Scripture is a diagnostic passage of Scripture. So uh, James is going to diagnose a problem, but he's not going to necessarily give us a solution. We're going to have to go to other parts of Scripture for that. And so we'll do that. Um, James is very concerned about the tongue. He mentions it in every passage of his epistle. So there's, there's five chapters, and there's a mention of the tongue in all of them. In uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 19, he says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In verse 26 of chapter 1, he says, If you fail to bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. In 2.12, he says, Speak as one who is going to be judged by the law of liberty. We're going to look at chapter 3 here in a minute. In chapter 4, he says that speaking evil against a brother is the same thing as speaking evil and judging the law. So it's pretty serious. 
Uh, and in chapter 5, he warns us against taking oaths, right? You probably are familiar with that. Let your yes be yes. Uh, don't take an oath. And so James is very concerned about how we use our tongues. Um, and you know, the tongue is uh, its always with us, so it's, it's pretty easy to sin with your tongue, right? So it's not something you have to go out and do. Whereas, uh, you know, if you're going to sin with drink, you have to go out and get drink. Your tongue is always with you. And so it's pretty easy to, to sin with your tongue. And this passage contains some really rich imagery, and it also contains some pretty stark warnings about the effects of not controlling your tongue. So what I want to do is I want to read this passage, and then I just want to walk through it and, and kind of talk about it a little bit. So we're going to do something different. If, if you're able to, would you stand up? And I'm going to read uh, James 3, verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed <clears throat> and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You may be seated. <clears throat> so not the cheeriest passage of Scripture, right? Um, doesn't give you a warm fuzzy when you hear all that? Uh, no, it, it doesn't. And it's not meant to. So James is going to start with a warning to teachers, and he includes himself in that warning. And the explicit reason he gives is that teachers are going to uh, encourage stricter judgment at the Bema seat of Christ. But there's a couple of other reasons that not many people should become teachers. And when James is talking about teachers, think uh, a formal teacher. So uh, not a, that you're teaching Sunday school, it's that uh, what Mike does on a regular basis. Okay, So that you are a primary teaching, you have primary responsibility for, for teaching the people of God, God's Word. And one of the reasons um, not many people should become teachers is that teachers have uh, a responsibility to teach the whole counsel of God. And that's a difficult thing to do. All right? So they have a duty to teach no matter how unpopular something is going to be or how uncomfortable something is going to be. And in our day and age, that, 
that list of things that are uncomfortable or, or unpopular is just getting longer and longer and longer. Okay? And so is, in Ezekiel uh, 3, 17 through 19, God is commissioning the prophet, and, and he tells him, I'm sending you to the house of Israel, and I want you to go warn them, and I want you to tell them something. And if they uh, don't repent, then they're going to suffer the consequences for that. But you'll be guiltless because you've warned them. But if you don't warn them, if I tell you to tell Israel something and you don't warn them, then they're still going to be held responsible for their sin, but you're going to bear that guilt. You're going to bear, I'm going to require their blood at your hands. Okay, so there's a duty to warn and to teach the whole counsel of God. If you look in Acts 20, Paul, uh, he's on his way to Jerusalem. God has told him, the Holy Spirit has told him, uh, nothing but chains and death and uh, prison awaits you. And so he calls the Ephesians elders to him on the beach, and this is his farewell address to them. And, and he says, uh, I'm, I'm guiltless, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, because I didn't shirk from teaching you the whole counsel of God. Okay, if there was anybody that had reason to not teach the whole counsel of God, it was Paul, because he was constantly under threat of physical violence. But Paul didn't... Stri- uh, didn't shirk from teaching the whole counsel of God. Um, one of the unique things about Lion and Lamb, uh, if you've been here for a while, you know this, is that Mike is not uh, paid staff. Okay? So Mike doesn't get a salary from the church. Uh, he's supported through designated givings. And one of the reasons for that is so that Mike feels free to preach and to teach whatever God lays on his heart. And so there's not that... that component of, well, if I teach or something that's unpopular or something that people don't like, then my salary's in jeopardy. <clears throat> okay? And that's unique because most churches in America are not like that. You have a paid staff, you have a senior pastor who's paid, all right? And, and so you hold that little string over them, and there's great temptation when your livelihood is at stake to only do what people want. Okay, teachers also shouldn't teach for advantage, okay? Not that they shouldn't earn their living from the gospel because Timothy tells, or Paul tells Timothy that those who labor in teaching and preaching are worthy of double honor. So they should be uh, able to earn their living from the gospel. What they shouldn't be able to do is teach for advantage, right? So, so teaching is not a means to gain a position over people. It's not a means to... Uh, be higher than anybody else. Um, and again, that's contrary to our American church culture where we have celebrity pastors, uh, they go to conferences, they write books, um, everybody wants to be around them. Uh, and it doesn't take long for you to start believing that press that you're getting, uh, you know, that you're really that good. There have been, in the past two years, there have been two very high-profile uh, ministry failures. Okay, Mark Driscoll, does anybody remember that name? Uh, and Darren Patrick just uh, was removed by his group of elders from the Journey Church in St. Louis. Okay, a mega church, five, I don't know, 10,000 people. And in both those cases, they were removed by their elders because they had had a pattern of abuse, being abusive to the staff, uh, that they were above everybody else, that they didn't need to answer to anybody. Okay, so it's very easy um, 
to get into a position as a teacher where, uh, you know, you start believing people. Oh, that's so great. You know, you can really teach the Word of God. And you start, you start believing that, forgetting that you're a servant. Okay? And, and that's not what, that's not what uh, a teacher is supposed to be. A teacher is a, an under-shepherd and a servant. Um, and then the explicit reason James says not many should become teachers is that a teacher is going to incur a stricter judgment. Okay, we're all going to stand as believers. We're all going to stand before the bema seat of Christ, and, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, uh, where we're going to be judged not as far as salvation, but as far as what we've done. And so it's a judgment for rewards, and whatever that looks like, teachers are going to come in for a stricter version of that. Okay, and so James is saying not many of you should do that. It's a warning. Now James is not saying that we shouldn't strive for maturity. And we shouldn't strive to be at the point in our walk where we're, where we're able to teach. Uh, because in fact, the writer of Hebrews, that's one of the things that he laments about his audience. And he, he tells them that by this time, you should all be able to teach. right? You should all be at a spot in your walk where you're mature enough to be able to teach. And you're not. I have to keep, I want to talk about the deep things of Christ. And I have to keep talking about small things and giving you spiritual milk. Um, now James, in verse 2, that was just verse 1. We're in verse 2. Okay. Um, verse 2, James says that everybody stumbles in everything that they say. Okay. So it, James is not after perfection here. He understands that we all stumble in many ways. Um, and I'm going to confess, okay, Friday, as I'm preparing for a message on taming your tongue and speaking with grace and gentleness, right? I got into an argument with one of the girls. And uh, I'm not going to tell you which one it was. You could probably figure it out. Uh, but this the, just pushed my button, and, man, it was like a second I said something that I immediately was like, I should not have said that. I should not have said that. I'm sorry I said that, okay? But it's, at that point, it's already out. And that's where I get the look from my wife. is like, you really, really shouldn't have said that, okay? So it happens, and uh, I'm an object lesson of that. Okay, moving on to verses uh, 3 through 6. Okay, James is going to use four metaphors to describe the tongue. Um, and... The first two um, are, are kind of similar. So he's going to talk about the tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth, and the tongue is like a rudder of a ship. Okay, so I'm not a horse person, so Alan, if I say something wrong, you, you tell me, right? Uh, but a bit, it's, it's a small metal piece, what, about three, four inches, okay? Uh, you put it in a horse's mouth, and for the most part, Right? You can, you can, if the bit is in the horse's mouth, you can direct this thousand pound animal where you want it to go. It's not perfect. It doesn't always work that way, but for the most part, it does. Um, And the rudder of a ship is the same way. James is talking about sailing ships, so they were made of wood, but it's the same way. So uh, from the smallest sailboat to the largest aircraft carrier is steered by a rudder. And when you look at an aircraft carrier, I was looking at some pictures. Some of those rudders are three and four stories tall, right? Because you're talking about a ship that's huge. But in comparison to the rest of the ship, it's small. It's small, but it can direct that ship 
to go where it wants to in almost any kind of weather. Um, have you guys ever seen the show Deadliest Catch? Has anybody seen that? No? Nobody's seen that? Okay, if you've seen it. Okay, I don't necessarily recommend it. I'm not endorsing that show because there's some language. and um, Yeah, so I just wouldn't recommend it unqualified. Uh, but anyway, so here's these crabbing ships. Uh, and they're, I don't know, 60, 70 feet long, maybe 100 feet long. And they're out in the Bering Sea, and there's hurricanes, and there's ice on the ship, and the, the hold is full of water and crabs, and there's waves crashing over the ship, right? And, and so even in all that, this ship is kept straight into the waves by this tiny little rudder. If that fails, then, then they're in trouble. And, and so James is making the point that uh, our tongue is just a small part of our body, but it has the potential to direct, to direct our entire body. Then he goes on to describe the tongue as a small fire that sets a great forest ablaze. Okay? And uh, to start a fire, you, you need three things. You need fuel, you need oxygen, and you need a spark. Okay, was anybody at the Ilifs, the uh, Fall Fest? I think it was two years ago. No? You guys were? Okay, raise your hand. This is the, inter- this is the interactive part of the, see if you guys are awake. Okay? All right, so um, three years ago, we couldn't do the bonfire because it was too windy. And so there was two years of material uh, that year when we did the bonfire. Okay, so it was it was huge. There were, you know, dry cypress, and it, it was just a lot of material. And uh, so Steve, I don't know if he poured anything on it or not, or if it was just there. Maybe so Steve lit a match, and he dropped the match, and whoosh, I mean, that thing just went up like crazy, and people were backing away, and, you know. Um, so it was just this tiny little spark that created this giant, giant fire. And the tongue is the same way, James is saying, right? I bet we could all tell stories of where a careless word, something you probably didn't even think about, or something, and it, and it, just, it just blew up. And it caused this mess that you had no idea it was going to cause, right? Churches have split over just a careless word that somebody says or doesn't say to somebody in a hallway. Well, that person didn't talk to me, or, or that person said this about me, okay? And before you know it, you've got dividing camps, and, and the church is splitting, and, and the pastor's getting fired, and, and all that kind of stuff can happen just from the tiny spark. All right, moving on. So James is going to go on, and he is going to um, call the tongue a world of iniquity. And the Greek word that he uses here is cosmos. So it's the same word that we get for cosmos to talk about the universe and and the planets and all that. James isn't using it in um, in that sense here. What he's using it in this sense is talking about a system um, or a scheme or an arrangement. Okay, And this is how John MacArthur describes it. It is a system of iniquity, of evil, of rebellion, lawlessness, and every other form of sin. It breeds and gives vent to every sort of sinful passion and desire. So 
that's a whole lot of evil for just this tiny little, tiny little member of our body, right? And so what's the result of that? What's the result of a tongue that's left unchecked and uncontrolled? Um, well, in verse 6, James says that, that the tongue defiles the entire body. Okay? And, and Jesus is going to say something similar in Mark 7. Um, he's talking to the people, and he's telling them that uh, what you eat, talking about dietary laws, what you eat isn't what defiles you, but what comes out of you is what defiles you. And so we all have, uh, we all are working on our sinful hearts, right? But out of those sinful hearts come anger and jealousy and envy and strife and malice and all those things. And they all, at some point, if not dealt with, if not repented of, if not brought under grace, are going to find expression in what we say, okay? So if we're envious of somebody, then we tend to uh, criticize that person or, or think poorly of that person or represent them poorly to other people. If we have pride, then we might be tempted to, to brag about our home or our family or our job or things like that. Um, you know, a, a great place to, to see this in action is um, if you go onto any blog or any uh, like the comments section on CNN or Fox News or something like that. I mean, that's a great place to see this play out in real life. Uh, Fakebook is another one. Twitter is another one that you can see this, right? So, so let somebody bring up a controversial subject or something that somebody doesn't like, and it doesn't take long for the comment sections to get really, really degenerate, okay? And for people to be trading accusations. And, and Christians, we're not, we're not immune to this, Okay? Um, in fact, we're some of, some of the worst perpetrators of this because we all have our pet hills that we want to die on. Okay, some of them are theological, some of them are cultural, uh, but we tend, to, we tend to get into these little camps. And so, so if, you're, if I'm a complementarian and you're an egalitarian, well, uh, one, I'm not even sure you're saved or part of the church, uh, you know, and, and two, you're a heretic. Um, if you're, there's a controversy raging now about the Trinity. And, and so uh, some of the comments are, well, this person needs to be removed from ever speaking to the church again. And, and the person they're talking about is somebody that has served faithfully, has contributed to the life of the church, has written commentaries. And, and so all of a sudden they're just, they're other because they don't hold my certain position. Okay. So, so we're not immune to that. All these things in our heart, they come out in our words. Um, and, and James is going to warn us that not only can the tongue set our whole course of our life on fire, but the tongue can also be set on fire by hell. Um, Jesus is going to say the same thing in Matthew 5.22, right? You may recognize that. This is the Sermon on the Mount that Kent has been going through. And this is where Jesus is saying, uh, the law says this, but I'm telling you this is what is actually meant by the law. So this is what the letter of the law says, but this is what the Spirit is. And so when Jesus talks about the law says don't commit adultery, I'm telling you don't look with lust at a woman because you've already committed adultery. So Jesus is upping the ante. And when he gets to the part about um, anger and murder, 
Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I'm telling you, don't even be angry with your brother. Okay, so the, the, the requirement of the law is higher. And, and this is what he says. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, the word translated fool there is raka. Uh, probably didn't pronounce that right. But, but anyway, the, the literal translation of that is empty-headed. And when I looked it up in a Bible dictionary, it was, a, it was the worst kind of insult you could give somebody. So it, would, it was like somebody that was beneath your contempt. Okay, so they were beneath the stuff underneath your, that you step in on your shoe. All right, so it was just, you call this person empty-headed, and they, you had no use for this person. They were just beneath your notice. And so this is what Jesus is saying, right? You're, not that you say the word. The word is not magic. It doesn't have any special power. But the attitude of your heart gets expressed by your tongue, and that's what puts you in danger of hell. Okay? So you guys all feeling happy, right? Everybody's just depressed. They want to go back. We want to call the kids back up to sing. Is that what you guys want? Okay. So, all right. Hang on. It gets better. Honestly, it does. Okay. But James has got one more, uh, one more punch for us. Uh, so he's going to say uh, that it's impossible for us to tame the tongue. So just when you're looking for hope, James pulls the rug out and, and says, you, you can't tame the tongue. Every beast, every bird, every sea creature has been tamed, but you can't tame the tongue. And, and really quickly, I just want to go through, he's going to give um, four things that express that. Okay? Um, and he's going to say that uh, blessing and cursing shouldn't coexist in a believer, but they do. Okay? So he's, he's going to say that you can't get fresh and salt water from the same spring. Okay? They, they don't come from the same source as fresh and salt. Fig trees don't produce olives. Right? No matter how many, how many times you look for olives on a fig tree, you're going to get figs. Um, Grapevines don't produce figs. Um, and you can't, get, you can't get fresh water from a saltwater pond. Right? So you can't go to a saltwater pond, get a bucket of water, and expect that you're going to drink that, and that's going to be fresh water. And what James is getting at is that the natural world operates according to certain laws. So nature obeys its nature. So trees do what trees were designed and created to do. Rocks do what rocks were created and designed to do. All right, all those things. Nature obeys God's commands. Um, but we're one of God's creatures where we don't do that because we can, at the same time that we can praise God, right? We're gonna, in a couple of minutes, we're going to sing praise songs. And with the same mouth that we're singing praise to God, we can turn right around and curse somebody that is made in God's image. And James is saying that's not, that's not how it should be. Okay? But, but here's the hope, okay? Here's the hope, is that we have been given a new nature, Right? So if, if you're in Christ, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away and new things have come. All right? 
So we have a new nature that we can obey and that we can, we can serve. Not that we're not ever going to struggle with our old nature because until we die, we're always going to be a, in a fight against the old man. But we have a new nature that we can obey. Okay? And so I just really quickly want to give us a few things to help us with our tongues, having a new nature uh, to control. Right? Because we don't want to be caught in this continuous loop of I say something, I regret it, I say something, I regret it, I say something, I regret it, and it just never ends, right? You can, even though the tongue, can't, tongue cannot, see my tongue, uh, tongue can't be perfectly tamed, the tongue can be redeemed, okay? So, the first one, and it seems pretty obvious to say this, um, is when you sin with your tongue, repent and ask God for forgiveness. Okay? Don't beat yourself up. Don't, well, why did I say that? I shouldn't have said that. All right? Go to God. Go to God and ask for forgiveness. Uh, for, you've got 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9 on your study sheet. Um, and that's a great verse to commit to memory. Okay? Um, if we are faithful, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay? And that unrighteousness includes unrighteousness with the tongue. Go to God. When you have, have sinned against somebody, confess it. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for cleansing. Okay? Uh, the next one is if somebody sins against you with their tongue, uh, forgive them. Okay? Now, we don't like to hear that because uh, forgiveness is difficult. And sometimes the person that has offended us, either they haven't asked for forgiveness or we don't think they've done appropriate penance or they're really not sorry enough or whatever it is. Um, and so we're going to withhold forgiveness until that person is worthy of it. That's not the biblical model, right? Because uh, Jesus says, if you're offering something to God and you remember that your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled. All right? Leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled. So keep short accounts with people. Don't, don't leave things unsaid and uh, don't leave forgiveness ungiven and unasked for. And then the last one is, um, if you've sinned against somebody else, go to that person and ask for forgiveness. Okay? And, and here's speaking to the guys... Um, when you go and you ask for forgiveness, if, if you've sinned with your mouth, you know what you said. So ask forgiveness for that thing. Okay? Don't go to your wife and say, well, I'm sorry if I've done something to offend you. Okay? Because, what is that? That's, that's a cop-out. If you said something that you're asking for forgiveness for, you know what you said. Okay? Say, I'm sorry I said this and this offended you. Please forgive me. Okay, don't, don't cop out and just ask for this blanket. Uh, forgive everything I've done for the last 25 years if it offended you. All right. Okay. Putting off the old nature and putting on the new nature and controlling your tongue, that's an active process, right? So it's not something that happens overnight. It's a period of years and years and years of struggle. But it's possible for us to do. Okay, I'm going to give you two more scriptures and then, and then we're done. Um, 
Ephesians 4.29. Uh, we use this at our house. This was also, I think, one of the scripture songs. Okay? Um, and so this is what Ephesians 4.29 says. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good, such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So before you say something... Um, you know, if you have that scripture memorized or if you're thinking about it, think about what you're going to say. Is what I'm going to say, is it corrupting? Is it, is it going to corrupt somebody? Is what I'm going to say, is it going to give grace to somebody? And, and that's what we want to strive for. Okay? You know, if we followed this rule, we would probably talk a lot less, but we would say a whole lot more, a lot more meaningful stuff. And that wouldn't be a bad thing necessarily. All right, and then lastly, um, we need to understand the consequences of not controlling our tongue. Uh, so next to Matthew 7.22, Matthew 12.36 is the scariest verse of the Bible, in my humble opinion. Um, this is where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he's telling them that, uh, that good fruit doesn't produce, uh, good trees don't produce bad fruit, and bad trees don't produce good fruit. Okay? And then this is what he says in um, uh, verse 36. He says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. <clears throat> okay? So for the unbeliever, they're going to go to the white throne judgment. And what they've done, their rejection of Christ, and what they've said, they're going to be judged for. Okay? And they're going to get uh, thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, but for us believers, we're going to, as I talked about earlier, we're going to go before the Bema seat judgment, where we're going to be judged on our rewards. So I want you to think about this for a minute. You're going to stand in front of, in front of Jesus, okay, and not the Jesus we see on pictures. This is going to be the full-on Jesus that James looked at and fell down dead, like he was dead in front of, okay? So this is going to be the, the glorified, ascended, Lord of the universe, Jesus, okay? And all of us are going to give an account for every careless word, okay? So I, I don't know about you, but that makes me want to not talk so much. So I may never speak again. Um, no, Okay. But, but just think about that, okay? So we're going to give an account. Now, thankfully, there's grace and there's mercy. And, and for believers, your sins are covered. But you still have that to look forward to, all right? You're going to give an account for what you say. All right, I want to close with a, an admonition from Titus 3. And I really could have just read this because I think it sums up how, as believers, not only should we act, but we should speak. And this is what Paul says to Titus. He says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And you know, at the end of the day, um, we want our life and our words and our conduct. At the end of the day, we want to be able to say that what I said and what I did pointed somebody to Christ. Let's pray. 
Father, we do thank you for um, your grace. We thank you, dear God, for um, uh, giving us the ability to praise you with our words. Um, Father God, would you help us to uh, glorify you with our tongues? Would you help us to honor you, uh, dear God, uh, to be obedient to what your word says? And uh, God, just to, to not have regrets about the things that we say, um, dear God, but just to bring you glory in all of it. Amen.